Once again, it is our pleasure to welcome you to Wheaton Bible Church this morning. Uh, if some of you are visiting, I'll be going right out to the visitor center, which is just outside these doors, right in the middle, and would love to have a chance to meet you and have coffee. Uh, we welcome you, too, during the Advent season, which is these four weeks and leading through Christmas Eve when we will be celebrating the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know it's a time for traditions in families and homes. It certainly is in ours. And I thought I'd bring a couple of mine today uh, to, uh, to get us going here. Let me get the watch going, which will please you all. But of course, only if I look at it. All right. Uh, well, the, the, are the traditions beginning to tumble out of your closets and such now? Yeah. For us, it's the closets, then it's the attic, then it's the basement. We even have a storage shed outside which is loaded with Christmas. One of mine is music. I learn about God through the music of Christmas. And this is 110 CDs I've collected over the years. And I know some of you are thinking, he is so old, he could have all that on his iPad. <laughs> well, I do have it on my iPad. I want you to... But I, I like holding them and remembering where I got it. And this morning early, we were, Marie and I were up before dawn, and we played the Messiah. And just as the sun was coming up, I put on track number 12. For unto us a child is born. Oh, music at Christmas. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Uh, and I learn a lot and get a lot of counsel from God through, through um, DVDs at Christmas, through films. And of course, one of the great advisors of Christmas is Will Ferrell in, in The Elf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are crazy about this. Uh, we watch it every Thanksgiving night. And, of course, he has many things to say to us. Number one is the four food groups during Christmas. You all know what they are, don't you? Okay. For, uh, number one is candy, candy canes, candy corns, and what? Maple syrup. Yes, so that's from Elf. And, and then he also says the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all to hear and wasn't it beautiful when we joined together and what child is this? That was just holy with the nice guitar playing in the background. Thank you, Lord. Well, also, Bing Crosby's been an advisor to me in Christmas. Uh, you know, you've got to swoop up into the note. Uh, you don't start right on the pitch. You go, uh, <laughs> dreaming. Uh, and this is where I learned that, that when you're worried and you can't sleep, uh, you count your, that's right, you count your blessings instead of sheep. And you fall asleep. Join me. Counting your blessings. Yep, that's right from there. <laughs> Last night, Marie and I put on the Nativity story. And seriously, this is a tremendous representation of those early days with Joseph and Mary and the coming of the baby Jesus. What a wonderful way it was for us to launch into the Christmas journey and the Christmas story. So, all of these. If we were to give you any kind of just simple advice as you head into this year, besides joining us each, each week and, and during our Bible studies and all that we have, we'd say spend less would be number one. Um, trying to cut back instead of adding on and all the stress of bills that can't be paid. So spend less and stress less. Secondly, um, give to church and charity. Many of us give special gifts at the end of the year to our church. 
It's a wonderful way to get outside of ourselves a little bit and, and to other charity and, and even servers, especially those that service our meals and such. It's a wonderful thing to give two times the tip you normally give or even three and then just go, God bless you, God bless you. Wonderful thing. Give more to church charity. Third, give more of you. We all get so busy during this time, and in reality, the best gift we have to give is not busyness, but just our presence with those we love. And then fourth, seek to know God more fully. And that's what your church is going to be an assist to you in, seeking to know God more fully, more time with him. Um, seek his face. Well, and to that end, here we go. We've had the Lord's table where in symbol we, we saw what he did for us. We've had the beautiful songs. You've seen the way that the, the team has adorned the sanctuary for Christmas. You like that comfort and joy that we have along there? I, I'm told that took a long time to do to get those up there. Uh, comfort and joy from God rest you merry gentlemen. The trees, everything has its purpose. And most important of all is the opening of the scriptures. This is where we find and experience God anew and get his instructions. So, here we go. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. The page that we're on in the uh, Bible in the, that we have here at the church is page 683. And as you're turning on your uh, Bibles or opening them up to Isaiah 9, I'd like you to see the screen because this is a theme picture for us during these weeks. Pastor Rob will be bringing three of our messages. I'll be bringing two of them during this time. And we're building it on, on these names of Jesus. This is Ron DeCiani, incidentally, his interpretation of Isaiah. And he has Isaiah as he's receiving this revelation from God about the child who will be born. And then the four names that we're going to read again in Isaiah 9, 6. He will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Incidentally, the calligraphy there was done by our own Timothy Botts. So this is Deciani and Botts together. And you'll see this again next week. So the first Sunday of Advent, we'll take the first of those great names. Wonderful Counselor. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Have you got that open? All right, now, if you would, go back one verse to chapter 822. Because it sets some context for us. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness you see that verse 22 that sets the historical context now you may remember if, if you've been a part of our church that last year pastor Rob took us through intensive studies in Isaiah concerning the Christ coming and we're just gonna brush on them again this year and then and then bridge out but you may remember that when these prophecies were uttered, all of Israel was going through a tragic time. Over a 100, 150-year period of time, super uh, 
powerful nations, Assyria and Babylon, will literally capture and take over all the land and destroy most of it. It is going to be a time of distress and darkness, fearful gloom, and look his last phrase, utter darkness. Utter darkness. I start there because that's what this comes out of. But secondly, we're certainly aware that for a lot of people, as you enter into Christmas, it is not a happy time. You need comfort because there is no joy. And it might be because you've lost a loved one over the year. I know yesterday I was very melancholy as I was putting up outdoor lights and I couldn't get a hold of what my emotions were. And then over dinner, Marie helped me to recognize, well, it was a year ago that, I'm sorry, two years ago, near this very date, that my dad died. And it was a year ago that my mom died. And, and, and so it just brings all that back. For some people, Christmas is a time of darkness, not light, because they feel alone. Uh, or, or you feel like you've got enmity in key relationships. And boy, if there are broken relationships, there's no way that you can sing glad songs during time like this. Uh, I prayed with one woman after last hour who just lost her job this week, right at Christmas. So for various reasons, uh, sometimes it's just the darkness of these days with so little light. It might be a time of darkness for you. It certainly was for Israel. And it's in the midst of gloom that something magnificent occurs. Chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there's the word, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. There's your first hint. Those of you who study the Bible quite a bit, Galilee, Jesus will major his ministry in Galilee. Galilee of the nations, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. And then verse 2. For the people walking in darkness will see a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He has enlarged the nation. He has increased their joy. People will rejoice like it's the harvest. So in the darkest time comes some sort of light. Now, we don't know what that is yet. It hasn't been revealed in the text. Look at our trees, if you will, that we have here adorning our sanctuary. You see the great lights that are, that are lit but I'm especially impressed by the trees with no leaves and hardly any limbs, kind of the bleak midwinter, if you will. And notice how whoever designed this for us, we have bleak midwinter, but with light beginning to push through it. And if you will, that's what this text is saying. Some sort of massive light, symbolically, is going to light the deep darkness of the bleak midwinter. What is it? Well, verse 6. Here we go. For unto us a child is born. You know the handle, right? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Oh, and the government will be on his shoulders. The light is a person, and the person comes first as a baby. 
And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now Isaiah didn't understand all of this. He thought he was only writing about his present context and some king that would be born. But we know that the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy would be 700 years later. The Wonderful Counselor. That's where we're going to camp this morning. Jesus as the Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful. It's one of those words that we misuse, overuse, and abuse. Lots of the multi-syllabic words, just, they kind of get tired and they lose their oomph. So I suggest that you take the word wonderful and you hyphenate it because it brings two great words together, wonder and full. Wonder, fullness of wonder. Wonder can be described as incredible, beyond imagining, inexplicable. Or the word I really like is amazing. Amazing. Fully amazing. Fully wonderful. And this is what the coming of Christ is going to be. Beyond imagining. Beyond imagining. And in what sense Beyond imagining in counsel, in advice, in help when we're perplexed. Wonderful counselor, amazing advisor about whatever is troubling us. I'm amazed how easily I worry. I worry about things that don't really even matter. I mean, yesterday afternoon, do I put the blue lights on this tree or do I use multicolor? Marie prefers, she, she's elegant. I'm flippant. Uh, so she, she, would, she would prefer the white. See the way I even did that? White. <laughs> I like the color. And uh, yeah, I'm going back and forth. It, ridiculous to worry about things like that. But we do. What shall we have for dinner? What shall we get on the Christmas list for the things for our children? Because we can only afford about three of their 1,250 items. And then it can be a lot worse things too. Where do I find work in this economy? How, how do we help put our marriage back together when it seems it's so broken and there's so much anger? What does our nation do about health care. How do we deal with Syria? On and on and on it goes. But here's the point. We tend to face life alone when we were meant to have the wonderful counselor with us in everything. We are not alone. He is the wonderful counselor, the amazing advisor. Now, can I show you where I start to see this come out in the life of Jesus? All right. So now, we, we spent a couple minutes in Isaiah. Now, we're moving forward 700 years of history, and we come to the time of the coming of Jesus. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. 
verses 40 through 52. Luke 2, 40 through 52, pages 1015, 1016, if you're using our church Bibles. Now, interestingly, chapter 2 is where we see the birth of Jesus, but where I'm picking up is he's no longer a baby. He's now a child and a boy. Verse 40, chapter 2. And the child grew, and he became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Verse 41. And every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12, that's important, 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. They were unaware of it. Verse 44, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. And when they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And then 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. All right, in verse 41, it's a, it's a new event. Probably, probably, we don't know for sure, but probably the very first time that Jesus had gone with his parents to Jerusalem at Passover. Why? Because he's turned 12. And when you're 12, you become, quote, a man. When you're 13, you become a man of the law. In other words, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a transition point in, in a young person's life. The text tells us that Mary and Joseph went uh, to Passover uh, every year, right, in 41. But it may be that Jesus, this is Jesus' first time, and it's Passover. There are many great feasts, but there's none greater than Passover. Everybody comes that's anywhere near at all, and they're going to come from 70-plus miles away. Their whole family and probably most of their village will come. Relatives gather from around the, the, the lands. And it is a celebration as you can't imagine. And it goes on for days on end. And the Passover is the theme. Now get this. This is important because we were at the Lord's table. The Passover is remembering and pondering and praying over the fact that once upon a time, God delivered his people from Egypt and he delivered them from the angel of death. How? By the taking the blood of a pure lamb and placing it on the doorpost, the Jewish people in Egypt were protected and delivered. The shed blood of a pure lamb 
There you understand why John the Baptist will say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this is what they ponder during this festival. They move deeply into what we call redemptive history. They, they move deeply into understanding who God is and what he has done and how sacrifice for sin is essential. And they celebrate, for they have been delivered. Well, it ends at some point. It's time to go home. It's just like the day after Christmas. Boy, there's nothing worse than a Christmas tree that has all its gifts open. But eventually all festivals end and they start heading home. The women would be in the front, the men generally in the back, and they'd be like a caravan just starting to walk home, walk home. They could average about 20 miles a day. And so they had gone for 20 miles and then they all gathered around the campfire and they said, where's Jesus? Because it's time to sing Kumbaya and he's pretty good at singing. He was pretty good at everything. He's not there. Mary says to Joseph, isn't he with you? Joseph says, isn't he with you? He wasn't with either of them. And they're 20 miles away. Now the next day, they go all the way back 20 miles, probably just the two of them, to try to find their child. How many of you have ever had a son or daughter missing somewhere in a store or something like that? Okay, it says three days. Three days. And where do they find him? They find him in the temple courts. And he is hanging out with the PhDs. Everybody else has gone home. Now the scholars can truly deal with the texts and go into the great depths of the meaning of God. And they find Jesus in the temple. And look what it says, verse 46. Sitting amongst the teachers, the scholars, listening, asking questions. One of my professor friends over at Wheaton College says the way he identifies high intellect intellect is through question asking. It isn't those who have all the answers, it's those who ask the questions. He said, Lon, we look for intellectual curiosity, not intellectual verbosity. He's asking all these kinds of questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed. There's the word amazement coming in again. They were amazed at what he understood and at his answers. What you have here is, is a young person of high curiosity and intellect. You see, what did Jesus know at 12? We don't know how much he knew of who he was. We don't know. But we do know he grew in a society where both his mother and his father taught him the ways and the rules of God from the time he was young. We do know that they celebrated all of the festivals and they rehearsed all the great redemptive acts of God. Like any other 12-year-old in that society, he had a level of knowledge. But how much had God spoken into him about who he was. We do know this. He did not come out of the womb knowing all this because it says both in verse 40 and in verse 52, he grew in these things. But he knew quite a bit or they wouldn't have been so amazed and what he will say in the next minute tells us he understood more than even Mary or Joseph knew at this point because when they find him 
Mary says, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I mean, Mary was worried. Now she's just mad. <laughs> right? I heard a yap from a mother somewhere. Of course she is. And, and then Jesus says, and this is where you have one of those great tipping points where the universe bends and turns a corner because the young boy man, Jesus, says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be, what, in my father's house? Mary's just said, Joseph's the father. Jesus is elevating it beyond. He understands some level of connection with the creator of the universe. Even though he's fully God, he's fully man, and he has this much already. Didn't you know I had to be? The, the King James Version here actually puts it, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? I had to. Well, verse 51 Oh, no, the, the 50, you got to have 50. They didn't understand what he was talking about. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's taken it to levels of spiritual understanding beyond what human beings could have at that point. Verse 51. So he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Incidentally, parents, this is free. And all of you that are, are young people, ages, say, 11 to uh, 30. Uh, no, <laughs> teens and such. It says, he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Uh, he will stay with Mary and Joseph until he's 30 years old before he leaves. So this is kind of interesting. A lot of us, when we were young people, thought that we knew more than our parents and we weren't obedient. He did know more. <laughs> and he still chose to stay in obedience under them. Fascinating. That's free, parents. Use that all day long at home. <laughs> but here's what I really want to get to. It's verse 52. This is what I've been pining to get at in this whole text. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Verse 40, Jesus grew. Verse 52, and Jesus grew. I, I was sharing this text earlier this week. Uh, three of our um, uh, ladies on our staff and three of the men all gathered with me over lunch on Tuesday. And we just opened this passage and we were reading it. And I was getting ideas from them and such. Uh, and when we got to this point of Jesus growing, one of the ladies in, in our little lunch, she goes, I just love that. <laughs> I go, what do you love? And she's, no, Jesus grew in wisdom. I go, I don't get it. And she goes, no, I, I feel like I know so little and I feel like I'm learning all the time and there's so much I have yet to learn. You ever feel like that? Well, she, Jesus did too. You know, she's realizing Jesus was growing in knowledge. She's, so she realized, 
I even have a fin- Jeff, you're going to love this as, as our uh, discipleship pastor. Jesus was being discipled. Just as we all are, as we're growing and learning more. So she just loved that part. But here's the parts of him that we're learning. Four phrases. He grew in wisdom, verse 52. Stature, 52. Favor with God and with man. Wisdom, stature, favor with God and with man. One scholar that I was reading on this said that Jesus had a combinative intelligence, a combining intelligence. When it talks about wisdom, you're not talking about just information. You're not even talking about knowledge. You're talking about the integration of information and knowledge into some sort of a whole that makes sense so that you live life right and well. Jesus his mind was combinative. His cognitive, his emotions, his imagination, his memories, his motor skill development that runs everything in the human system, it was all ordered. And it worked. He grew in wisdom. But not just the life of the mind. It says he grew in stature. Verse 40 says he was strong. Verse 52 says he grew in stature. And that suggests to us that he was fully physical like we are. And he understood the physicality, both its opportunities and its limitations. There isn't a pain that you feel that he doesn't understand. There isn't a disease that you have or that someone you love has that he's not well aware of. The physicality side of existence is totally integrated in him as well. Third, favor with God, the spiritual. Jesus Christ understood what it was to know God and be with God. In fact, the Bible tells us he was fully dependent on the Father, that he never did anything on his own. He never did anything the Father wasn't doing. He never said what the Father wasn't saying. He knew how to live this God-dependent life, and it brought further balance and integration into him. And then finally it says, and he had favor with man. This is the social side of life where a lot of our problems are. Relationships with others, social societies and systems. Remember, Isaiah said, the government will rest on his shoulders. He will understand it all. So even at 12, when he was still developing, we get the sense of this, if you will, man for all seasons, the whole-souled person coming together and I want to remind you again that's why there's nothing that matters to you that he doesn't care about there, there, you can't surprise him and he knows he was fully man and he was amazing as Alfred Edersheim says in this great quote we're going to put it up. Having entered life as the divine infant, he begins it as the human child, subject to all of its conditions, yet perfect in them.
See Jesus as the boy and as the man, as the fully integrated human soul. See him now with the Father. See the Spirit come to the point where Jesus said, I will be with you always. And you begin to get a hold of this fact that we don't have to go it alone. You don't have to. If Christ lives in you, he wants to live his whole life in and through you. He wants his consciousness to join with your consciousness. His life governing your life. And boy, it sure takes care of the worry issues and the fear issues and the doubts. I'm not saying we still don't have those. But friends, we can have them a lot less. He knows, he understands, and he is in you. You say, well, how do I tap into this? Well, first of all, there's no area of life that he cannot and will not counsel you in. There's no area of life he cannot and will not counsel us. So how do we tap into it? Well, I've got four simple, they're not simple things. I've tried to, I'll try to explain them simply and they all start with C. How do we tap into this counsel, this guidance of the fully sold God? First, and they all start with C. The first one is conversation. Conversation is another word for prayer, right? Many of you know this, but is there any one of us that practices it as much as we wish we did? No. Jesus in his conversation with God, he would speak and he would sense God speaking. Uh, St. Paul says, pray without seeking, uh, ceasing. There is, there is a way of getting into a life of prayer where it isn't just your consciousness operating, but there's this, this continual dialogue going on with God. Imagine what a blessing that is in life. Have you had snippets of it? I'm seeing some head nods. Yeah, I, and I get, let me ask God to make this a regular pattern for you. You say, how do I get at it? Well, the first, when you next sense that you're worrying on your own or fearing on your own, just bring God into it in your imaginative mind. Oh, God, you can handle this. Join, join me in this. Turn toward him. That's really all you got to do is, is just make the turn. And he'll, he'll fuse in you. You'll sense his presence more. Conversation. Second, content. Oh, the scriptures. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Just think what we've picked up today about God and about life. And it all comes from here. This is a Bible church. You either bring one of these with you or you turn it on or you take it out of the sea behind you, but we'll try to not say anything that we haven't found to be truth that comes from here. Oh, the scriptures. The Bible even speaks of the scriptures as food, as water. They give us life they give, and the guidance, the counsel that comes from the wonderful counselor through the scriptures. 
Number one, conversation, prayer. Number two, the content. Number three, uh, companions, companions. Companions on the journey. Lots of times God gives me counsel through those that I trust. I've had the privilege over this last year to get tremendous counsel from my pastor from friends in the church. I can look around here now and see people that I've had breakfasts or lunches with. One of my best friends in the whole world is in that room right across there teaching. His name is Jerry Root. He's a wild and wacky man. And we've done life together for over 12 years now. And I speak into him and he speaks into me and God gives me counsel and guidance through those I love. If you're not in a small group somewhere where you're building these friendships, oh, Companions on the journey. And finally, four, circumstances. God will even give us counsel sometimes through circumstances. Not always, but occasionally. And, and, and Pastor Rob's here today, so I'm going to close with this, Rob. It was a year ago Sunday that I came and stood next to you in this row in the front. And during the singing, you turned to me and you said, How are you doing, Lon? And I said, I'm doing great. And you didn't leave it at that. They were singing a song, so you and I knew we didn't have to sing. And, and then you were serious. You said, no, really, how's it going? And I said to you, I think this morning in my time with God, I think he told me that I'm going to, I'm released from where I am and I'm entering a new adventure and I don't know what it is or anything. And, and my pastor immediately says, well, let's get together this week so that he could be a companion with me on that journey. And then after the service was over, I went out, and I ran into a guy that I've hardly ever spent time with. His name is Jim Judge. And I said, Jim, how are you doing? And he says, I've just entered a new adventure. Oh. And he started telling me how, it, as a physician, at his phase in life, he'd taken a, a, a gigantic step doing it differently. And I said, are you enjoying it? He says, I am having the time of my life. I go, wow, Lord, so something's new coming, and maybe it'll be the time of my life. Well, six months later, I began to sense the wonderful counselor was guiding so that I get to share life in, in my church with all of you in this next season of life. God has been clear in the small things, in the large things. Oh, but finally, you, you can't get any of this if you don't know him. If you haven't come to the point in your life where you've said, God, forgive me for my sins, and I want to give my life to you, please do that. Come down with our counselors today. They'll be glad to guide you there. But just remember, you don't have to do this alone. The wonderful counselor, Jesus, is with you. Amen and amen.